Good morning. Ask you to turn your Bibles, if you will, to Psalm 95. Psalm 95. I do want to give a few. I don't often do this. We'll get to the word, I promise. But I want to say just a few things. One, just to let you know, every uh, month we have a church conference. Today is that day. That will be immediately following this service. So if you are member part of the body here we'd ask you to we'll ask you just to be seated so don't catch you by surprise or anything this is normal um nothing has caved in or anything crazy happened this is normal um but we would uh just let you know that if you're a guest with us you'll be able to step out if you want to or you can stay usually nothing crazy does happen so uh we'll we'll be all right um so that'll be immediately after and next sunday february the 6th will be a sin relief sunday here at our church we're so excited to have uh, Bryant Wright with us to be preaching. He is the president of the Southern Baptist Sin Relief and uh, does work for us all around the world. So he'll be here. I'm excited to have him here, a mentor, friend of mine. Love him dearly. So we're looking forward to that. That'll be next Sunday. And at the same time, we're looking forward to having one of our partners from LA, our Sin Relief coordinator, uh, Daryl Spears, will be here from LA. So we'll get to meet him as well. So it's going to be a great and exciting Sunday next week. You don't want to miss it. We have been going through this series here at the beginning of the year on spiritual habits, and our hope through this series has been to encourage each and every one of you to structure your lives in such a way that you pursue after holiness. Scriptures say without holiness, no one sees the Lord. And so oftentimes when we consider this, we, we know the gospel. Hopefully you know the gospel. God is our holy creator in whom we must answer to. Man is sinful and has turned away from him, but Christ has come to redeem us through his death on the cross so that we can all believe in him, confess him as Lord, and have salvation in life. The gospel. So we know that, but oftentimes we all need to remember that God has not just called us to know that. He's called us to become disciples of him, followers of him as well. And so many people come to us and say, what does that necessarily mean? And we're talking about here, these building blocks, where it begins. It begins with these habits in our life of scripture, biblical intake in our life and prayer and worship. To help along the way for each and every one of you, we've tried to provide some resources. I think I got them. Let's go. Right here. Just I want to put these before you. We have all of these available in our resource center over here, but one that I've mentioned several times, Habits of Grace by David Mathis. If you're looking to go deeper, this is a great overview of these three things and the importance of these things in our life. For prayer, we're, one of my uh, good friends, Don Whitney, has written this book, Praying the Bible. If you're anything like me, you can sit down to pray in like five minutes, you're done. You know what I'm talking about? You don't have to raise your hand or say you're like me. But when you open up God's word and we pray God's word back to him, we find it so refreshing and enjoying and just praying for our, our loved ones, our families and our friends and our church and your pastor. Praying and praying through the scriptures together. This will help you in your prayer time. Also is Bible intake. We talked about that raking in God's word. So we've provided through our resource page on our website several different reading plans. Reading through the Psalms and going through there. Reading through New, the New Testament. Reading through the entire Bible. 
And we've provided all of that and raking it in. But also we talked about not just raking in God's word, but mining God's word and digging deep into God's word. And our equip ministry, our equip team led by Pastor Jeremy has put together our E3 equip plan. And so these are available for you. This helps you walk through a, a Bible study, just walking through God's word to dig deep and mine deep into his word. We're just trying to give you all the resources you need to follow after the Lord and walk deeply and humbly with him. That's our desire here. All of these are available on our website. All of these are, are, you, are resources will point you to there over in our resource center. We have those little cards with that little code on it that we don't know how it works, but it works. And so it'll take you right to the page and have all of those things. Our desire alongside these sermons is that we would provide resources for you to help you pursue after holiness, seek after the Lord. And the Lord has told us. He's not hidden anything from us. Oftentimes we're looking for something new or innovative and there's this frantic lust for innovation around us all the time. We're trying to find something new, something to get a leg up. And what the scriptures does is it tells us that we need to be digging the same wells over and over again. That God's word comes to us in this way and there's no need for us to look for something new or innovative because we need his word and we just take it in and we need to pray and we need to worship and fellowship together. Those are the things he's called us to do, and those are the habits that we're looking to create in our lives here at Taylor's Bible intake, prayer, and then today, worship. John Stott, theologian, says, true worship is the highest and noblest activity of which man, by the grace of God, is capable. True worship is the highest and noblest activity of which man, by the grace of God, is capable. And worship is not only the highest and noblest activity for us today here on earth, it is also the highest and noblest activity for us for all eternity. Because what we do here in worship, we will do forever in glory with Christ. Worship is what we were created for. Worship is why we were created. We were created to glorify him, to worship him. And when we come together, we, we open up the word. But when we get to heaven, the word will be standing before us, right? When we come together, we, we pray together. But when we get to heaven, the Spirit will dwell with us perfectly and sin will disappear and we'll be with the Lord. And we don't even have to pray. We just got to call out, right? We look to Him and we see Him. So those things will kind of change form and see how we do it when we look to the Lord. But when we get to heaven, we will worship. That does not change. That does not change. And so our desire here is to understand what worship is. Our desire here is to understand that this is the employment for all of eternity. So while we're practicing even now, let's look to God's word. Let's look to Psalm 95 as a call for us to worship. I'm going to read the first seven verses here. An invitation. As I've said many times, all of scripture is an invitation to come to the Lord. And here you see it in Psalm 95 when he says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Let's pray together. 
Father, help us to hear the words of Scripture this morning, the invitation that you call out to us with, come and let us worship and bow down. So Father, as we gather in this place, help us to recognize just how great and glorious you are. Help us to come in with thanksgiving in our hearts, with thankfulness of what you have done. And God, help us to to come here this morning with a joyful noise to be made. Even as we have sung, God, help us to do all of this with an understanding. Do all of this with an understanding that worship is what we were created for. And so, God, help us to find our joy here in this. Help us to find our satisfaction in you and let it come out of us in worship. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together. We thank you for your word, which is good for us. We thank you, Father, that you have promised you will be here with us. And we recognize that our worship would not be anything if it wasn't for the Spirit. And so we ask that your Spirit be amongst us, that your word be lifted up, Father, that Christ Jesus be exalted. All of this for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Three simple questions I want to seek to answer this morning. Hopefully, Psalm 95 will help us with these. First is, what is worship? Trying to understand that question. Second, why should we worship? And third, how do we worship? Again, I believe Psalm 95 will help us answer these. So let's start with that first question. What is worship? A simple definition of worship, as one theologian puts it, worship is the act of glorifying God in our hearts that manifests itself in our actions. It's the act of glorifying God in our hearts that is manifested out in our actions. We need to understand simply that God created us to glorify him. He created us to worship him. He created us to honor him and bring glory with our life. And not only that, he's created us to enjoy him. He's created us, and what that means for us is that God created us to glorify and worship him, and when we are glorifying and worshiping him is when we will be most satisfied, when we will find our most joy, and we will find our most peace. The things we are longing for are tied to the very employment of our lives in worshiping God. They come together. And so when we are created and we look, we're we're seen to delight in him. That's why we are created. We're created to delight in him and find our enjoyment there. And this activity, as that definition points out, this activity begins in the heart. It begins in the heart. Worship flows from the heart. The heart, as we know, as the scripture says, is uh, what comes out of our heart is truly what defines us. We talk about this all the time, identity and all those other things. And we recognize, and oftentimes we talk about those things that really don't define us. And we need to be clear what does define us. But Jesus says, it's what comes out of your heart that testifies to who you are. It's the very definition of it. He he puts it in in a negative way when he's talking to the Pharisees. They're asking him about laws, about what you can eat and other things like that, what you put into your body. And, and Jesus says, it's not what goes into the body that defines you or defiles you in that case. It's what comes out, what flows from the heart that does. So it's not the circumstances in your life. It's not just all of those things that define you. Surely we understand that. But what comes out of our heart testifies to who we really are. You see, in Scripture, the heart is the, the seat of our life, if you will, the seat of our loves, our emotions, our motives, our satisfaction. The heart is all of that. So what comes out of that testifies to what it is, what we love. 
What comes out of our heart is testifying to what brings us satisfaction. What comes out of our heart testifies to what our, mo- our motives are. Our emotions are grounded in. What comes out of our heart testifies to all of these things. It's the heart that brings that testimony. David, at the end of his reign, getting ready to die, David is going to pass on some knowledge to Solomon. And he's, he's got his son. He just had a long reign and some, some good times and some bad times. And, and now he's ready to pass it on. And surely he may talk to him about all the different relationships he's got to do, all the different jobs that he'll have to do in his life, all those different things, being a king and what the pressure brings and all of that. But in 1 Chronicles 28, David is giving his last words, his last bit of advice to Solomon. And it's just simply one piece of advice. David says, and you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your fathers and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. He's telling to Solomon, listen, you need to understand the most important thing you can do, Solomon, as you look to reign over the people of God, the most important thing you can do is not to understand the treaties with other nations, is not to understand policies or politics. The most important thing you can do, Solomon, is guard your heart. Guard your heart. David knew this all well as Samuel came to find the next king. And as he did, he, he thought he could pick one that looked pretty or, or was handsome on the outside and all these other things. But he found out quickly that man looks on outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. The Lord looks to the heart. And so if that's the case, what does it mean for worship? If, that, if that's the case, a heart testifies to what we love and what satisfies us and, and what brings us joy. And God knows exactly what's going on in our heart for he searches it and he knows it. If that's the case, it means that when we come to worship him, there is no faking it. There's no faking worship at all. God knows the heart. And worship in that sense is not any outward sign. It's not anything you do outwardly. No hypocrisy allowed before the Lord when you come in to worship. Our outward picture, our outward positions, as one theologian said, uh, posture in worship is often imposture. If we confine worship to our positions of our body, where we stand, how we raise our hands, or even how we kneel, if we confine it to that, then we can fake it all day long. But God knows the heart of the man. He knows what I'm. And surely raise your hands, but be sure that's coming and flowing from your heart. What you do outwardly must flow from what comes within because your heart is what is known by God and worship is found in the heart. It's found there. So guard it. Guard your heart. That's what David says to Solomon. Surely he had learned that because David had those moments when, when his satisfaction wasn't found in God. David had those moments of pain when he had to come back in repentance in Psalm 51. David had those moments and he knows whatever your leadership can do, all of the the ambition you may have, all of the power you get, if you let that get to you, if for a moment you think you've earned it or you deserve it, then you don't guard your heart, then your satisfaction will be found somewhere else and you will fail. Guard your heart with everything you have. Do not let the world satisfy you. 
Do not think you can find your joy in those things. Do not fill your life with ungodly things. Do not love the world. Do not think that it can bring the joy you're longing for. Because if you're filling your life with the things of this world, then you're not finding your joy, your love. You're not finding your satisfaction in God himself. Keep your heart loving and trusting the Lord. It's first and foremost in worship. You can't come in here on Sunday morning expecting to worship God when all week you've been filling your life with the world. You come in here on Sunday morning sometimes and you're expecting to have this experience or this moment, but all week you've turned to other things. All week you've spoken of God, and I say it all the time, we talk about what we love, don't we? Consider your conversations this week. Consider who you talk to. Did you spend time with the Lord? Did you spend time in his word? Do you find your satisfaction in other things? Do you find your identity in other places? Don't come here on Sunday morning expecting just to click and flip the switch and worship. Because what happens oftentimes is you come in and you're expecting this moment of worship, this expectation of worship, and it doesn't happen. And you blame the preacher. Y'all got it? I pause just to see. You expect us to deliver something to you that you spend your whole week fighting against. And it doesn't operate that way. Worship is a lifestyle of giving your heart to the Lord, protecting it and guarding it and find your satisfaction in Him every single day. Guard your heart. From the heart, your whole life will follow. That's the very point of the Scriptures. You remember in Romans chapter 12, after after. Paul explains all the glories of God and what he does for us. He says the response of everything God has done. Therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Look at what he says next. Why does he say this? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. David, I mean, excuse me, Paul puts those two things together. Your worship is not being conformed to this world. It's transforming your mind, your heart, and your life. And when you do that, your body will follow. Everything you do will climb up on that altar. And the very word worship The very word worship means worth. What is God worth to you? And here he's saying, if you put the scales up and you put God on one side, God is worth your entire life on the other. You give it all to him. That's our act of worship. And you can't expect to give it all to him unless your heart finds its joy in him, its satisfaction in him, it finds its strength in him. You can't expect to give it all to him unless your heart leads you there by trusting in him. So we are absolutely dependent upon the Lord because we all need a new heart. And by God's grace, that's exactly what the Spirit does. It takes that old heart of stone and replaces it with one that loves God and finds its satisfaction in him. And by God's grace, we need that Spirit working in us. And we take the truth of God's word because if you worship you will worship in spirit and in truth and you will come to God and you will find your strength in him worshiping him worshiping him worship is about worth what is God worth to you and when I say that I want you to understand that worship is not about preference worship is not about preference somebody I preached this in the first service and somebody said I stepped on their toes I told them I didn't leave this pulpit that was the Lord y'all understand that in a minute (laughs) 
Worship is not about preference. And here at Taylor Shirley, we provide for different preferences in worship because we see how it works out in different ways, and God is good in that way, right? And we'll continue to do so. But don't come in here thinking this is about you. You see, we are not the consumers here. God is. We're not coming here to consume something. We're coming here to offer up something. We're coming here to give something. We're coming here to show out of the outflow of our very heart how glorious God is. So we make a joyful noise and we sing and we rejoice because God is good and we want him to hear it from us, right? We want him to know this. So we gather in this place, not as consumers looking for our preference. Surely as we come together, everything we do will be God-honoring, Christ-exalting, biblically sound and faithful. But in all of that, whatever the preference, whatever the style may be, while we come in this room is to give God the glory. It's not about us. And the moment it is, is the moment that it becomes useless to him. And so we seek to give him the glory. And that's what worship is. To live our entire lives by giving him our heart for his name and for his glory. Guarding it against the world. Finding our satisfaction in him. And that's why we worship as well. That's what worship is. But now, why do we do it? We do it because our worship is grounded, by the way, in the nature and character of God. Look at Psalm 95 with me. He says, come, let us sing to the Lord, make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Talking about worship. We come in with thanksgiving. We make this joyful noise and song of praise. Verse three, for the Lord is a great God. The reason why we worship is because God is great. God is great. And this praise can't be given to anybody else. Worship belongs to him alone. And why does the psalmist say he's great? What proves his greatness? Look at what he says. For the Lord is great and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountain are his also. God is great because he is creator. He made everything. He fashioned everything. By the very word of his mouth, we even know. He spoke it into existence. God is great. And it says here that the depths of the earth, the deep part of the sea, which none of us can investigate or even know about, he made that. He fashioned that. And you can go to the deepest part of the sea, and you can go to the highest mountain from any one point. It's all his. He made it. But not only that, he says, the, the, the sea roars, it has that. But not only has it made the sea, he made it. His hands form the dry land. So what the psalmist is saying is from the deepest to the highest, it's all his. He made it. The sea, the dry land, it's all his. He made it. He is creator. And when you think about that in worship, you think about the foolishness then to bow down or worship anything other than the creator. Why would you worship the creature? It makes no sense. Why would you worship something you created? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. In fact, the psalmist says it's the height of foolishness. Why do you bow down to something that's not the creator God? If you bow down to anything less than him, you're bowing down to creation, not the creator. And this is nonsense for us. It's a simple uh, logic. It's simple, simple for us to understand in rationality. No way would you make something, fashion it, form it into some, into some image and then turn around and bow down to it. You know intrinsically that you're better than that because you made it yourself. And that's what the psalmist is saying. Our God is great and there's nothing greater than him. 
He's the creator who made it all. And that means he is worthy of our worship. That's why we worship him because he has created all things and there is nothing that can come in this place. Whatever figment of your imagination that you can make up, whatever God that you can conjure up on your own, whatever piece of, take out a piece of paper and write down what would you want your God to look like? Do it all, do all of that. And it cannot be greater than him for he's creator God. He's made it all. He's great, and we worship him because he created all things. But we also worship him because not only is he creator, he's our shepherd. Look at verses 6 and 7. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. He knows the deepest depths of the sea and the highest mountains. The sea is his, the dry land is his, everything is his. He spoke it all into existence, and he knows each and every one of us. He knows your heart and he knows mine. He knows us by name. He, we are the shepherd of his, of his field. He leads us into the pasture, if you will. He cares for us. He watches over us. And in this, we recognize God is not just great. He is great in that he cares for us and watches and protects us. He provides for us. He nurtures us. He gives us everything we need or long for. He leads us by the still waters, right? He calls us to lie down in the green pastures. He is watching over every single step, just like the shepherd does to his sheep. And when we feed in the pasture, we're feeding in his pasture. He cares for us. We worship him not only because he created us, but we worship him also because he's our shepherd. He cares for us. He watches over us. And surely everybody in this room that knows him, this points us and reminds us of Jesus, right? All of those shepherd passages in the Psalms, Psalm 23, this passage here, Jesus summarizes all of that for us in John chapter 10 when he says, I'm the good shepherd. All of that shepherding that God does in the Psalms, that's me. I'm the one that cares for you. And then he flips it on them and he says, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He lays down his life. This God who created all things and made all things shepherds over his people and he cares for them. He gives his life for them. He calls them to faith. He preserves them with his power. Nothing could shake them. Nothing can stop them. Nothing can harm them. This God who created everything by the word of his mouth cares and loves for every single one of his sheep. And if you're a child of God today, that's you. He knows you. He cares for you. He died for you. He lays down his life for you. And you're safe there. You're safe there. Tell the story of the old preacher. I was listening one day, you know, how it works when preachers preach. You're kind of in and out. Some of y'all get that later. He was telling a story. In John it says, the Lord saves us, right? And then Jesus wraps his hand around us and the Lord God wraps his hand around Jesus and we're protected and safe there. Old preacher said, it's kind of like you get saved. Jesus takes you out of sin, dips you in his blood. You're covered in the blood of Christ Jesus, washed clean. Then he places you in Jesus' hand and he places his hand around you. You are safe in the hands of God. And no one can take you out. But the old preacher twisted on us. He said, just suppose they could. Just suppose the devil could come and pry the hand of God off. Just one finger at a time and just pry it away. And just suppose the devil in some way could just pry the hand of Jesus off of you. And then he comes to get you. In order to get you, the devil has to trample through the blood of Christ and then he's a saved devil. So you're safe either way. 
nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. Not anything. There's no chance that once you have given yourself to Christ in repentance and faith and confessed him as Lord and he's given you a new heart, there's no chance that he's going to let go of you. There's no chance he's going to forget about you. There's no chance he's going to leave you in the field with nothing. There's no chance he's going to walk on to the next field and leave you behind. He cares and he nurtures for you in every way. So my goodness, if that's the case, he not only creates us but cares for us in everything. Why would we give our worship anywhere else? Why would we turn to anything else? Why do we look for satisfaction in any other place? We come to him in reverence. It says for us to kneel down before him and come with exuberance and joy singing. Both of those things we come, we come with sheer joy of who he is and what he's done for us. We come with sheer exuberance and joy of what he's accomplished on my behalf, who he is. And we also come with reverence, recognizing, recognizing that the ability to worship him is a privilege we never deserved and never earned, but he's given it to us. To know the satisfaction of God is not something we could have ever found in ourselves, but he's shown it to us. He's opened up his hand and satisfied the desires of every living thing. Why would we turn to any other place, to any other one? For he is great. He is great. So how do we worship? Look at Psalm 95 again. I stopped there in verse 7. There's another line in verse 7. It starts up a new sentence, but I just want to focus in. He says, come, verse 1, come, let us sing to the Lord. Verse 6, come, let us worship and bow down. It's an invitation How do you do it? He says, first of all, today. Look at what he says in verse 7, that first word. It's just the next word, verse 7, the next word. Today, if you hear his voice. Today. Whether you read this passage today, whether you read it tomorrow, whether you read it 10 years from now, it's always going to say when? Right now. How do we worship him? We worship him right now. We worship him at this moment. And whether you read this passage at at 9 o'clock or 10.30 on a Sunday morning, or you read it at 9 or 10.30 on a Tuesday Tuesday evening, whatever time you read it, it's saying right now. And the very thrust of Scripture is we should always be worshiping him. The invitation is to come now. Find your satisfaction in him and worship him with your life. Find your joy there now, today. That's how we do it. We don't put this off. We don't confine it to a moment or a place. We worship him with our life wherever we are. Always we give him our life. Our thoughts, our actions, a renewed mind, a a heart that has been changed by him. We always seek to honor God. We do this privately. We do this privately. Sometimes, I don't know about you, I just need to get alone and praise God for what he's done. Sometimes I just need to get alone and cry out to him for what I need, right? Sometimes we must do this. We must worship him. Sometimes I will sing all by myself and you ain't even heard it. It's good. Why? Because I need that moment to praise God for who he is and what he's done. I need that privately in my own life. And what we do privately, what we do privately oftentimes tells us more about ourselves than anything else, right? What do you do by yourself? What do you do when you're alone? It testifies to who we really are, where our heart is. And and, and we must make sure that we take time to worship him privately. You must take time to worship him as a family. 
You may just take time to worship him as a family. Nothing will train up your children or show your children the importance of God better than you yourself sitting down with them and reading God's word together. I'm not asking you. I'm not telling you you got to put up a program and pass out a bulletin or do anything like that. What I'm telling you is just stopping and saying, let's read God's word and let's pray together. This family time testifies to you. You want to instill so many things into your children, right? And to your grandchildren. You want to steal those things. Don't expect them just to get it from osmosis or any other place. Demonstrate it. Take time, fathers, to demonstrate it in your families. Take time, mothers, to to show it to your children. Take time to do these things because it testifies to where your real satisfaction is, your real joy. We must do so corporately. We must do so together. Do not forsake assembling together to spur one another on to love and good deeds, Scripture says. I, I, I will never forget the first Sunday back after 2020, we had missed 10 Sundays of worshiping together. I thank God for internet. I thank God for the computer. I thank God for staying connected. Some are even watching now, and this is the only way they can watch and stay connected. I'm thankful for that. But I never will forget that first Sunday. After 10 Sundays away, coming back together. Realizing what that means for us. You can't explain it. Because the worship of God on a Sunday morning, while it's never perfect, it's not always exactly how we might want it to be. It's an event. The people of God, with the Spirit of God, around the Word of God, hearing from God's man that he's called to this place and singing praises together is an event that we can't explain or know. And if you're a child of God, you understand exactly what I'm saying. You understand those things. You can't forsake these things. All of Scripture, as I said, is a call to worship. All of Scripture is a call to come. And what is it calling us to? I love that Revelation 7 passage I mentioned all the time. The people of God, all finally, completely, every tribe, tongue, language, nation, all those things, finally, completely gathered around the throne, Revelation 7. They see the Lamb up there. They gather together, and what do they do? They sing Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. And I praise God, there will be nobody at their little mansion or house or hut or whatever you got in heaven watching that on TV, right? (laughs) That's something we don't want to miss. I'm going to be there for that. Not because of what I've done, but because of what my Creator, Shepherd, Savior, and King has done for me. I don't want to miss that. And the reason why I'm here this morning, the reason why I'm in this place is because I don't want to miss that day. The reason why I, I gather together, you may think this is my job, this is my calling, but my calling is to tell you that what God has for you is greater than what the world does. And what we look forward to is better than you can ever possibly imagine or know. And today, today I want to invite you, welcome you into the white-eyed, glorious worship of our Savior and King that we will never end, that we will never quit, that will always be our employment and our job. That's what we do here. And that's what we testify to the world. We testify that we are different. Yeah, they may think we're strange, but when they find what we found in Christ, they will know just why we are strange because satisfaction can't be found out there. It can only be found in Him. And that's why we gather together in worship. 
That's why I call you to come on Sunday mornings to worship. Let's gather. Let's do this. Why? Because we're looking for a better day. And every time it's not perfect here, don't go, all them bunch of sorry people say, man, I'll be glad when it gets to heaven. Jesus has got that stuff under control. We're looking for a better day, a more glorious day. Until that day comes, we gather together and we wait on it. We gather together and we practice for it. We gather together and we prepare our hearts for that moment and that time. That's what we do. I don't want any of you to miss Revelation 7, where we sing together. If you don't like to sing, you won't like heaven, so start working on that now. Where we sing together, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Let's pray. Father, help us, prepare us, Take us toward that day where we'll be together with you forever. And so until then, Father, may we find our satisfaction and joy in you. God, you are good. You are great. You're our shepherd. And we thank you. We thank you, Father. Help every person in this room desire nothing more, nothing less than to praise you, worship you with their life. All for your glory and all for your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.